Welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast about teaching you skills and techniques to use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on the left my good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Hi! And on my right, my evil podcast host, Joshua Death. Howdy. Oh, you stole my howdy. That's no fair. <laughs> I just spent way too much time driving across the Midwest. It's still in me. You're you're finally back from tournaments here. Back home, safe and sound. Oh, yes. Jesus, yeah. Probably for the better, considering I kicked both of you guys out last week. Horribly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. Yes. Well, you know, it happens once in a while. we got to have those episodes with the partial team. <laughs> Which puts us all in kind of an interesting little lull here, uh, because there's not a lot of huge events happening right now. You get that kind of post-LVO slow period, but, you know, we are sort of starting to roll up on some others. It's not going to be too much longer. I think a lot of people are also kind of waiting for that. Uh, everyone knows there's going to be tweaks and changes to the ITC missions. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Uh, there's been de- definite talk about doing something about the fact you can't take secondaries against Eldari. There's going to be shifts to the ITC missions in general. Like, Frontline does that every year. Yeah, and I, and I honestly think they're going to be for the best. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, as much as I like the ITC Champions missions, the amount of effort that goes into making them as skill-based and player-based as possible, it does create a system that can get stale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and that's just the nature of anything, is like, it, there's some value in changing things up, at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I am, I am actually very much looking forward to it. I'm very excited for it. Yeah. You know, on a, on a, just kind of an aside, especially since we just mentioned, you know, kind of coming off the LVO hype and all that. I know a, there's been a lot of mixed reviews online as far as the code of conduct and the judging staff mm. from the LVO. Um, I will say from my end of it, that was the best LVO as far as uh, code of conduct and and just general uh, the you know the judging staff and the player base and all that that I've seen yet it's the best one I've seen hands down I'll be honest about uh, eight out of ten of my worst games ever of 40k were played at LVOs yeah although I think that's something of an anomaly I don't think that is most players experience were were any of them this year Shay? Not this year is what I was going to add. I didn't have a game in which I hated my opponent at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So good job. Yeah, I I, I concur. I concur 100%. Yeah, the the Code of Conduct does have a positive effect overall, even if it's not perfect. And and it's not, obviously. It's still young. It's still new. They're still tweaking and kind of evolving how it goes. And I also like how they, you know, obviously they didn't come right out the gate swinging heavy-handed with it, right? Yeah. They, they were very obvious coming in saying, hey, we're going to be very slow in putting this. We're going to be a little lenient. We're going to, you know, if the judges kind of feel like, you know, there's a reason to give you two yellow cards instead of just going straight to red. And they did. And I think they did a phenomenal job with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got to give massive kudos to John and his staff from TFG. Those guys, I mean, Jesus, dude, they busted some ass. Yeah. Both Tom and Dan that stayed all the way through that fourth round on Saturday and then came right out the next day and were judging mm-hmm. mad props. That's that's a heck of a day. Yeah, yeah, those guys were, they were baller. And uh, uh, I think that everything that I saw this year, I know there's a lot of been mixed mixed reviews as far as the Code of Conduct and shit, but I was, I was stoked. I think it was phenomenal, and I'm very excited for where it's going in the future. Yeah. It certainly helped the mid, mid and low tables since I sat there. Yes. 
that, that brings up something that I, I don't think we really talked about yet. Josh, what was your first really big event? Okay, so when you call a big event, I'm assuming like we're talking like what would be larger than a GT today, right? Like more than 20-something people? Yeah, more than 20, certainly. At, like at least a decent-sized GT. Um, I'd have to say my first really, really big one was uh, Adepticon 2000. God, that was 2002, wasn't it? Wow. That's a long ways back. Adepticon 2002 was my first real big, big event. Uh, prior to that, I'd done a lot of RTTs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I was in, the, I was lived in South Dakota. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, my nearest event that I drove to was uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, up in the middle of the Rockies. <laughs> it was a nine-hour drive. It was a tiny-ass little tournament. I drove all night to get there. Uh, it was horrible. Yeah. And it was a little one-day, three-round tournament. And uh, that was that was when I first, like, that's what kind of, that's what I used to do. But then when I was in the military in A school in Chicago, and I heard about this big tournament that they were doing at this convention center, and it was Adepticon. It was one of the, it was actually, I think it was, like, the first year. Hmm. And uh, it was out of this world. It was amazing. I actually got to play a game of, of those that are old in the industry would remember the name Paul Sawyer. He used to be the guy that was nicknamed Fat Bloke. Huh. The head editor of White Dwarf. Wow. He was there that year. That's cool. And after I won the event, he requested to play against me in a, a like just a little quick one-on-one game of 40k. But he didn't bring any army with them from England. Oh. And so I actually gave him my second army. Uh huh. And so he ran the army that I won the event with, and because I didn't want to be the guy to beat Paul Sawyer, I ran my shitty little backup army <laughs> against my tournament army that I just stomped the tournament with and he literally curb stomped me. Yeah. And I couldn't have I couldn't have been happier at that moment. It was phenomenal. It was like it was amazing. That was my first real glimpse into what tournament forty K could be. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. There you go. Wholeheartedly fell in love with it. So what? Seventeen years ago? God, I feel old right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're 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 a filthy old man now. Complaining <laughs> about the kids on your lawn. <laughs> Operative word is filthy. How about you, Shay? What was your first big event? The T-shift you goaded me into going to. Yeah, well, I mean... Oh, God, that's a beautiful first event. T-shift is amazing. T-shift was also my first event, although obviously it was a different T-shift than Shaylin's first event. So, mind you, this was the first 6th edition one, and this is the first one not run by Zed or whatever it was, the guy who started it. Yeah. I was just about to ask, which one was it? Was it Zen Zang, or was it after... That was when uh, Ben Schmoller had taken over. No, no, Ben was... wasn't running it. Aaron Albert was. Oh, really? That was the year Aaron oh, just ran yeah. it. yeah, yeah. Because Ben had the flagpole with the American flag running around crunked. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Ben Ben drunk off his ass with a flagpole is a pretty accurate description of that guy. Also, that's the first tournament where I encountered Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, in passing, I didn't actually speak to him. I just saw him also drunk off his ass chatting with Jessica. <laughs> Did he have the cigar? I think that was one of the years he had his cigar, yes. I'm pretty sure he had the cigar hanging out of his mouth, the American flag, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's Ben. Yeah, that sounded whole, about the right. regalia. Classic Ben. <laughs> yes. Uh, getting yeah. back into tournaments again. Saw him at LVO this year. It was really good. Yeah, I did. I guess who else I saw at LVO this year? Huh? I actually saw him round five, Ben Cromwell. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's he's back. Kicking ass. Yes. Uh, got them Admech, which really good army these days. He hasn't played 40K in like two years. He came back to LVO like this off the hiatus, mm-hmm. and he was just curb stomping this weekend. It was amazing to watch him play. Yeah. Cromwell is 
he's he's really good. I had to play him round one at BAO once. <laughs> we rolled up on each other round one is when he was living in Portland, and we'd play each other like every other weekend, basically. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a hell of a sparring partner. So, for context of our listeners, when I started getting into tournaments, my meta had Ben Cromwell, Sean Morgan, Jeff Robinson, mm-hmm. Ben Schmoller, Jeremy Vessier. Yep. I went in with the big boys, so I had to become competitive if I didn't want to lose every single game I ever played. Baptism by fire. Yeah, there was a lot of really good players in Portland at that point, many of which have since moved away, unfortunately. Yeah, Shalem just dove in off the deep end unintentionally. <laughs> I think it was more like I fell off a cliff into the deep end. Yeah, but you learned to swim, so. <laughs> right? Solid. Well, that actually transitions us pretty well into the topic of our episode here, which is getting yourself on a team, which we're going to be discussing both teams and kind of playgroups in general. Uh, It's not going to be exclusively organized teams, uh, because all of these tips apply to both of them, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the concept is basically the same there. We're talking about why you would want to be on a team, how you're going to try and find that team, and what it can do for you. Yes. Um, so do we want to start out by like differentiating exactly what you would call like a team versus a playgroup? Yes. Sure. Um, that, that'd probably be a good differentiation. Jalen, why don't you why don't you start us out here? Uh, so mechanically, at least in the ITC, a team has a really specific meaning mm-hmm. mechanically in the game, and that is that people who are on the same team will not be paired with each other round one if the event is sufficiently large. Is there a size limiter on that? Well, it, when you have an eight-person thing, sometimes it chokes out people on the same sure. team. If possible, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's basically what I meant there. Yes. Um, there's me being autistic again. Only round one. Um, so it means that I don't just sit there and walk up to a table and see Sean Morgan across the table round one and growl at the T.O. Yes. Uh, we usually wait till round three for that. It also does, uh, the ITC measures rankings of teams and. We're not going to go into how all of that is calculated, because it's different from the way that regular ITC rankings are and all that, but there also is a team scores. Yes, uh, and there is a best team, which which is unsurprisingly a team I think Nadavati was on. Beast Coast. Three years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. Um, There's a lot of really good teams out there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Josh, you want to you want to contrast that for us? A playgroup is, uh, you know, you have your you have your general what a lot of people call the FLG, their favorite local game store. That mm-hmm. you go down and you kind of have the same general half dozen to, you know, a dozen tops group of guys or girls, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes of people, you know, um, that you play consistently. And this, this group, whether you realize it or not, will inadvertently shape both your meta and the way you build your armies. Because these are the people that, since you're playing constantly, they're going to shape how you play, how you build, and what you build for. You may not be a team because you don't like travel to events together. You may not like, you know, go out and hang out together, have drinks together. But you guys play enough together and consistently enough that you've created a relationship, whatever symbiotic organism almost, where you guys evolve off of each other. Community. Community. Perfect example. Yeah. Perfect word. Thank you. Uh, there's my autism kicking in. It's it. It just I I, I lost it there. <laughs> But it's you get this community where it's like I said, it's not really a team, but you that that community it develops within itself. And to me, that's more of a play group. You're not you're not really all working together, mm-hmm. but inadvertently you're evolving together. I think those are 
real solid definitions on both of those is a, a team is an organized version of a playgroup, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the, the really relevant thing that we're, we're kind of talking about this here is a team can be a huge lever toward you getting better at the game faster than you otherwise might. And that's why we want to talk about teams, because they help you improve a lot in oh God, so much. quite a variety of ways. Um, yeah, I remember getting on my first team and how excited I was, because I was trying really hard to get on a team. Yep. Um, some teams are more organized, some are less. Some of them really are just a collection of people who kind of hang out together. They're really not much more than a playgroup who does happen to be friends with each other. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them have explicit rules for how you can get onto the team, how you stay on the team, etc. It varies exactly. a lot. Um, unsurprisingly, the more organized ones tend to do better in the ITC rankings because they work harder. Yep. Yes. Uh, that's just kind of the reality of it. But uh, a team of any kind is very valuable to you. Yeah. Also, on the note of communities, uh, for example, we do have internet communities as well as a mo- more sure. modern phenomenon with 40K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're we're talking mostly about in-person communities, but the reality is that a an online team and community can be just as valuable in many ways. Won't have all of the same uh, advantages, but you also have some other fit factors that are actually more of an advantage. Um, Josh mentioned how like a community can inadvertently shape your meta and how you build lists, one of the advantages to an online community is that because they are all from very different areas, they're not going to shape your list in the same way. Um, exactly. They're going to notice things. It's like, hey, you don't have any way to defend against orcs. It's like, oh, I don't ever see orcs. It's like, well, you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna. <laughs> if you start traveling, you're gonna. Um, yeah. I wish I'd seen orcs at Elvia. It would have been a better matchup for me. Yeah, <laughs> right? Well, we, yeah, there's a whole lot to go into there. Um, <laughs> another thing that uh, I think is, is worth kind of talking about is team size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, most people think of teams as like, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 people, but a team can actually be very small. Like our local team here in Corvallis is realistically only like four to five people. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not a whole lot of us, but the advantage we have in organization is that, like, that's a car load. Yep, exactly. Yes. And the uh, other aspect is, like, mechanically, Sean and I are the only two people on our team, but it is the most pits to play the person you traveled up with, so, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk a lot about that some more later as we get into the advantages and that kind of thing, but, mm-hmm. uh... It's it's important to remember that a team can be basically any size of at least two people. Even just one other person is still a useful resource. Exactly. Uh, so if you just don't have very many other people in your area, then that's fine. You can still have a small team. Yeah. And going back a little bit to the online communities, one of the access things I wanted to bring up really quickly is I joined the Heroic Intervention online community, mm-hmm. and I got access to Matt Rutt yes. through um, that, which was invaluable to me. Yeah. There are a number of different Patreons for podcasts, ours included, uh, that if you join up with, it gives you a just pre-built community for you, folks you can talk to about lists and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's not necessarily a travel community, since some of those people may not even be in the same country as you, um, it is something you can draw on for lists. And honestly, since a lot of those people will be going to the same big events, your LVOs and your Adepticons and Novas and stuff like that, uh, there's a very good chance you can still hook up with them for travel at some point. Mm-hmm. 
We certainly take advantage of Josh at LVO, so... Yep. So many people do. Yeah. <laughs> Not in well, a bad way. That was a pretty cheap weekend, all things considered. I get that a lot. Yes. So, uh, why, don't, why don't we start off a little bit with the kind of obvious benefit of a team, which is helping with list building. Uh, oh, yeah. I think this is the main thing that a lot of people start out with a team looking for, uh, although... Honestly, it is maybe not the main benefit of being on a team, but it's certainly a big one. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Everyone, just absolutely everyone, has gotten to that point where you sit down and you're typing away at a list and you just don't know what to do next. Or you write up a list and you've been working on it for days and days and you're just thinking, am I going crazy? Is this terrible or is this amazing? Did I just break the meta or did I make a one in five list? And having access to that outside source of eyes, someone else who can look at things that isn't you, is really big. Yeah, I am presently suffering from epic list block and have been leaning heavily on my team to get through it. Mm -hmm. And that that's a big part of why you, you want to have a team around, is just so you can get someone else to look at things or to, to inspire you, honestly. Yeah, no, it, it goes all sorts of ways, and I, Lord knows I've put a bee in Sean's bonnet multiple times. Absolutely. Well, a lot of times, whenever you're working on a list, especially if you're really pushing for like that competitive edge, right? Mm -hmm. You'll start a list, you'll work on it, you'll tweak it, you'll do a few practice games, you'll tweak it, and eventually you've, you've tweaked it so much, and you've stared at the list so much, and you've run it over in your head so much that you just hit like like you were just mentioning with that kind of list block where you just you just completely blocked on it, mm -hmm. and it's not that you haven't figured out what's right or wrong with it yet. It's you spend so much time staring at it. What you honestly need is a second set of eyes. You need someone else to look at it. Absolutely. And a great comparison for this for me is there's uh, you have all these fields out there that are the very high demand, high technical, high mental uh, uh, fields out there that whenever you know these these individuals like doctors or scientists or whatever mm -hmm. that they're they'll be in those situations where they go to a colleague or a friend and uh, they want them to just give a second set of eyes to look at it like hey I've got this patient or I got this problem I just need you to look at it for me and they're not saying that they're worst doctor or better doctor or whatever or scientist it's that they've stared at it so long they've puzzled over it so long that it's, it's almost locked in their mind they need someone to kind of break that mold and that's where the colleagues come in and that's exactly what a team does for us in 40k that team is just give me that second set of eyes you know i'm, I'm missing something maybe i am maybe i'm not like you said sean maybe i've stared at this so much that either i've i've got the next golden jewel or this thing is a complete turd and i'm just not realizing it yet mm -hmm. yeah that's i kind of mentally think of that as the wall it's not that you're specifically like you have a, a block, but more that just that you there's diminishing returns. It's like the more you stare at it, the more you get wrapped up in your own head. Yep. And you don't you lack the perspective. And having any other perspective is such a huge benefit that it it completely just makes it so you can look at that and say, Oh, this is bad, or like, Oh, I think you have a good idea, but why are you doing this? Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's why critique is such a huge part of, like, the art field, is because that is super easy to do in a painting. Yeah, very, very similar. Like like Josh said, technical fields, like Shay said, the the art fields. There's a lot of other fields where this sort of idea applies, because this is just a, a universal human feature. Is when you spend that much time on something, you lose your ability to have a proper perspective on it. Yes, Exactly. And on the flip side of that, and this is one I have encountered a lot, and Shay kind of tagged a little bit earlier, 
teammates are great for brainstorming new ideas and new perspectives on lists that you would never have thought of at all in the first place. Yep. Shay will often, you know, come up with some kind of just weird little thing that's just like, hey, what if you did this? Uh, and I'll well, put a bee in my bonnet. And I'll sort of like, oh man, you know, I don't think that's great in that list, but there's another list that might work in that I could run or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, no, uh, either a tactical insertion or a list idea. That is where your assassins list came out of was me putting a yep. stupid idea in your head. Yep. The the Death Blossom, actually, last year, that Death Blossom list I ran, mm-hmm. that actually was created from an almost identical circumstance. It was actually an old teammate of mine. Uh, Zach Poles actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were all we were all working, and we were just kind of we were just messaging back and forth, and just spitballing these little list ideas, this and that. And he just shot me this list idea where he was kind of like, "Well, what if I run just horrors and poxwalkers together?" And he wasn't even talking to thinking about splitting or any of that, just having them together. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that light bulb clicked. I'm like, "Wait, what if we had a couple extra hundred points and we just split them and get more poxwalkers?" And he's like. Would that work? And, and literally, it was like, it wasn't the intent of the idea, yeah. but it created this idea, and we just built an entire list around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely created something nasty. Yeah. Um, like, right now, I'm building a list around Vespids for Tau. Hoorah! Sure. You can build around all kinds of things. A- anytime Josh and I get together, we inevitably come up with some weird list. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, last, last year at LVO, it was, uh, abusing the Death Guard and Nurgle spells that add plus one to wound and trigger things on six ups or seven ups. Which, by the way, that list, by the way, Sean, I don't know if you saw, but is that is the list that took me to the top 16 Adepticon last year. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is those weird little concepts. Uh, we, we did again this year. We had a Slanesh list we were kind of toying around with. and. Mm-hmm and playing with ideas for. And it hasn't really come to fruition yet, but usually that takes some developing. Um, and the advantage to having those team members is that these are people who will sit down over a course of days or weeks and help you come up with these ideas and refine them and branch them into new ideas, etc., until you come up with something that is truly outstanding. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Another really valuable part of that, and it's a little bit tangential, but it's it comes from the same idea, is that your team members can be a kind of a weather vane for the meta as a whole. Oh, yeah. Um, when we were kind of discussing it, uh, you'd, you'd mentioned the shock attack gun as a prime example. Yeah. A perfect example of that was uh, over the, the holiday break, and I had to submit a list for a tournament that I went to, that, that big team tournament in Sudbury that I went to earlier in the year. I had to submit a list for that. I had to have it submitted literally by midnight on New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had barely even looked at the orc codex. Really no real effort that I dedicated into it. And I was supposed to run orcs. So all of a sudden I turned to my team. Literally, it's New Year's Eve. It's like four hours before the ball's dropping. And I'm, I'm messaging my team. I'm like, guys, I got to come up with an orc list. I'm, I'm working on this. Here's some ideas. Mm-hmm. And one of the things a couple of the guys mentioned is like, hey, you should look at the shock attack gun. There's a lot of guys in the meta that have kind of been hinting at this. Take a look at it. And this is a prime example. I hadn't heard anything about the shock attack gun in the Vigilist book. And all of a sudden, because my teammates had kind of kept their eyes open, and they're like, hey, you should take a gander at this. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I looked at it. And sure enough, yeah, it was, it was bloody brilliant. It's amazing. That exact example there, my team is what delivered me through that. That wasn't me. I didn't have the time. I didn't put in the time, but my team was definitely there to help, and that that was key. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that's really what you want is you're only one person. You can only read and take in so much information at any given time. And especially with the way 8th edition has been proceeding, 
there's so many new books and new codices dropping that it's really hard to keep a track of all of them. Well, at LVO even, uh, one of the men we traveled with was getting mm-hmm. paired up against Sisters, yeah. his round four, and he was asking about it, and I said, oh, let me tell you about the blender. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, that's and that's the sort of thing that you want, is like, not only does it help you in designing your own list, like Josh said there, uh, because you, you might be playing a codex that you're not as familiar with, or there may just be something in that codex that you haven't heard about. Mm-hmm. That, the, like you said, the shock attack gun has spread fairly slowly through the orc consciousness as a whole. By the time, you know, anyone is listening to this, they'll probably all know about it because it was all over LVO. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But prior to that, a lot of people just didn't know about it and didn't really realize how good it could be. And your teammates can be a really good way for you to learn about that sort of thing before most other people do, get you preemptively on the boat. Well, here's another thing, as you alluded to earlier, you talk to your team and they say, hey, you got to build for orcs, buddy. Right. That is a direct forewarning of saying, that codex is good, that codex has tricks now, right. it's not dragon, but you got to build for it. Yep. Yes. Knowing not only what is good within the context of their own armies, but also the armies they have experience with. If you haven't faced orcs, you may not really realize what they can do. It's like, why is everyone taking Ludas? They, they're so easy to kill. It's like, oh, you see those 60 grots that are going to stand in front of them? You're going to have to kill all of those first. And you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. It's like, you may not have realized that until you actually see it in action or until someone tells you about it. And having those people who can tell you, like, Ludas are going to be everywhere now, get ready for them or the Shock Top Gown is amazing, or Eldar Flyers are back in style, or whatever other change to the current meta is coming, that is a really valuable thing to have in your pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially when a new codex drops, but even well after that, because we're still seeing armies that dropped months and months ago that are having shifts to the way they're built. Yes. Um, the Guard have seen some serious shifts. Knights are seeing some big shifts as well. Mm-hmm. These are not recent books, but there's still a lot in them that hasn't been explored, and players are learning how to use them. Exactly. Uh, you came up with the combo with House Raven of that one relic and the Warlord trait basically being immune to Ludas. Yes. You, know, you take that two-up armor, you take the plus one to saves against minus one AP, and suddenly you know Ludas are wounding you on fives and you have a two-up save against their gun. It's just like, oh, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> There's always more little nooks and crannies that you probably aren't aware of, unless you are really deep diving on every single book. Uh, Having all those players in your meta gives you access to that deep dive on all of the books, or at least all the books they're familiar with. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, I think this is a good time to take a little bit of a break, give everyone a chance to digest things while we go digest whatever it is the Quartermaster is dishing out to us this week. I, I, I think it's beans. Uh, it usually is. <laughs> um, we'll catch you all on the flip side of the episode. Gamers, are you looking to do the conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, 
Those dreams can become reality with VritaForge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. VritaForge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A-F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. VritaForge. Make all of your wargaming bits dreams come true. Greetings, wargamers. We all know that this hobby can run a little bit on the expensive side over time, so I'd like to introduce you to the concept of Mindtaker Miniatures. They buy and sell used miniatures at a very affordable price. They also sell things on commission if you are interested in getting rid of armies you're just not as interested in as you once were before. You can find them at Mindtaker, one word, Dot org, or on Facebook. My Taker Miniatures. We buy and sell used minis. So before we left off, we were talking about the uh, the weather vane effect, as we were calling it. But that actually extends quite a bit beyond just the list building and sort of the, the tricks and secrets. Um, having that knowledge base in all the players around you is actually really valuable for a lot of other stuff, too. I, I've certainly used it as just ways to find tournaments that are happening. That's a big one, because even with the ITC organization, it's not always easy to know what kind of tournaments are happening in your area and all the players that you know that can be on your team or that are kind of around you in the meta uh, are going to have knowledge that you don't. Yeah. Hey, Josh, do you want to talk about this at some length? Because I know you've been on a lot of teams over the years and you've done a lot of traveling. I have. So specifically on the knowledge base one, that's that's a big one for me because, um, and, and I want to caveat that there's two different kinds of knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have those guys, like myself as the example, where I've been in this forever, right? I've played seven editions of this game. I've played competitively for almost 20 years. I've been around the block more times than the milkman, all right? So with that, I have a massive, massive knowledge base, but a lot of that knowledge base can almost cause more problems than good at times for me because how many times, and I'm sure, I'm sure Sean, you can relate to this, you're in the middle of a game, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, no shit, you're quoting like a third edition rule in the middle of a game. <laughs> and you look up, like you're like, all right, sweet, I'm going to roll my Terminator save with two dice here. Mm-hmm. And your opponent's looking at you like you're you're speaking Greek. And you look up and you see that complete blank look on their face and you're like, oh shit, I just had an out of edition experience there. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> With these younger players, uh, specifically these younger, uh, I've got I've got probably three or four guys that are on my team right now that eighth edition was their first edition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have not played 40k prior to eighth edition, and you would be amazed at how valuable they are to me. They are invaluable to me as a, as a tournament player because when I go to ask them questions. About the person is 100% 8th edition based. They are not skewed or flawed based on 7th, 6th, 5th, whatever. Yeah. And any of those biases or, or perceptions that came with me, they don't have those. 
Right. Yeah. Better perspectives. Exactly. And so that's exactly why I say that to me, there's two different kinds of knowledge base. There's mine. That's this old grizzled crotchety veteran guy that has a whole bunch of knowledge and a lot of it is really useful. But then there's that second knowledge base from these newer guys for me. And that is just so valuable to me. So it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. There's an analogy in engineering. I have to know from my father's line of work is there's the old and experienced engineer, which is just kind of like you can't be an engineer's experience. But then you have the hot new guy who's like got all the latest math tricks that the old guy doesn't use at all. Sure. And a good balanced team has both. Yeah. And people who are between. Exactly. Who are like not old, but not new. Right. Diversity uh, is key. You'll you, Hopefully you do have access to players of a, diff- of a variety of different kinds. Um, that's probably not going to be up to you because it's more going to be based on who's in your area, but having different kinds of players definitely has a lot of value. Exactly. I've had people come to me just because I'm autistic. I do not think like normal people fundamentally, and I have a very different perspective on a lot of things. Sure. Exactly. That's another part of that that is very useful when it comes to rules interpretations. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Having someone else who has a different perspective on things can be very valuable because you're like, yeah, sure. And then I activate the stratagem, this other stratagem, and now they are invulnerable. And the other guy is going to look at you and say, that's not how those interact. And you, maybe you have a big discussion. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you go on the ITCTO page and ask. <laughs> sure. Uh, but the relevant thing is that you can get other perspectives to help see ways of interpreting a rule that you did. Yes. That is also extremely useful to have. Well, yeah, and I know we're going to touch on this in great detail later, but the other thing it gives access to that's remarkably powerful is a TO. On your team, yeah. Sure. TOs uh, can be having, really, really cool perspectives. Yeah, having an actual TO on your team is useful because they have access to not just information, but also experience that you may not see from the player end of things. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Well then, let's let's move on to some of the other things you can your team members are useful for. Practice. Yes, I was going to say uh, one of one of the most important things that you need as a competitive player is practice. Mm-hmm. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Game reps are super important. Yes. You just need to take that list out and play it and play it and play it and play it. Practice your practice. Yes. <laughs> right right before a tournament, especially, you usually want to get a bunch of games in to make sure you really have a handle on the list you're using. And your teammates probably will, too. So they can yeah. be really valuable as just like, hey, I want to get four games in in the next week. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you both a question. Sure. Leading up to LVO. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. First off, how many weeks before LVO was your lo- were you locked in on your list? <laughs> um, in actuality, it was probably about a month and change. Maybe like a month and a half, a little less. Okay. Shay? A little under a month for me. Mine was three weeks. Yep. Um, and a lot of that was, I was still kind of waiting to hear some of the rulings. Sure. Mm-hmm. On some of the potential issues, especially like with like demon summoning and stuff. That was a really big mechanic for my list. Right. Mm-hmm. Needed to make sure everything was going to work the way I wanted it to, so on and so forth. So my the second part, the follow-up to that is, in the, say, month, month and a half for you, or three weeks for you, Shaylin, uh, how many games, how many practice games did you play in that time? Seven. Yeah. Exactly seven. Part of that was Shaylin's schedule was very awkward. Yeah, I know your work schedule got crazy there for a bit. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had more than that. I think I played... 
let's see, I was averaging better than two games a week in that time. So in the, you know, five to six-ish weeks there, I probably got in maybe 10 to 15 games. 63. Well, that is the advantage of being in a larger city (laughs) and having access to a larger group. I'd say 85% of those were teammates. Mm -hmm. Various different teammates, but it was my team... They they knew that, you know, I was going in and I was actually going to go for a sh- shot this year. Like, I was really going to go for it. Mm-hmm. I was going to try and go the distance. And so my team, irrelevant of, of what they needed for their games, I mean, we were still working on some of their stuff and all that, but they really pushed a lot of effort into, like, these guys were staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning gaming with me at times. Yeah. Or they would drive over here at 11 a.m. And I did 63 games of Warhammer in three weeks to just dial that list in and practice in. And that was where my team truly shined. Yeah. They came out of the woodwork for me. Those guys supported the shit out of me to help me prep for the LVO. And I can tell you right now, I would say wager good money on that without that team behind me, I would not have even come close to doing as well as I did at the LVO. Hands down. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It Experience tells. And for all of you out there who want to know, like, what's the secret to being a really good player? Practice. Experience. Practice games. Yeah. Nothing will be more valuable. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Nothing will be more valuable. The reason we p- we're pushing teams here is in no small part because of what Josh is just describing there. Your teammates are the people who will enable you to get in those good practice games because there is some value to just sort of practice against random strangers at the LGS. And five of those practice games were at a GT I went to at the very last minute. And those are always great, actually. Those are really good to dial in your game. Yeah. But games against your teammates, they are, they know what you're trying to do. They know what your goals are and what, how your list works. So they are able to be there to get good games in as opposed to just games. Because there's a big difference between playing a top tier player and playing someone who's just sort of there to roll dice. Exactly. But there is one other aspect that your team can really deliver on. Uh huh. And again, this is actually one where my team, again, they massively helped me on this one. And that's what we call beg, borrow, and steal. Yes. Ah. And it's whenever you're you're going to an event, like, hey, guys, I need an Abaddon model now, dude. I don't have one. Does someone have an Abaddon model I can borrow for this tournament this weekend? Mm-hmm. And someone in the group, hey, you know, I got one on the shelf. It's, you know, half-ass painted. It doesn't look that great, but you can use it if you want. Sure. Yep. My example specifically, I mean, for anyone that saw my army, I had almost 7,000 points of demons on that stupid cart that weekend. (laughs) Yeah. I promise you that easily three-plus thousand points of that came from various members of my team that all kind of kicked stuff in to make sure that I had all the tools I needed to go to the LVO. So, again, one more example where your team can really come through. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I said my resolution this year is to learn another list. Well, guess who has a bunch of other armies that I don't have since I'm a Grey Knight monofocus? Sean. Right? Yep. (laughs) Uh, Shaylin is going to be just wholesale borrowing a bunch of my Eldar and Tau to play with them, but that's an option for her. Like, if she didn't have me on her team, she wouldn't be able to just start a new army for free. But oftentimes, your teammates will have backup armies that they're either willing to test against you with, kind of calling back to our tests talk there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, hey, I really need to know how to play against knights. It's like, all right, I got a knight army I can play against you. Here was the other crazy thing. I had to build sisters. I had to build 25 sisters models out of my ass. Yep. I had to raid a bunch of Bix boxes, but I managed to make it happen. Yep. And part of that was Sean had just a bunch of bits laying around. Yep, exactly. 
Yes. You have your borrow hammer, which is usually temporary. It's just sort of like, hey, I need that Abaddon for this week. But you also have access to a supply of bits and models. Yeah. I've certainly bought a lot of models off my friends for absurdly low prices. Oh, yeah. Um, That's how you start your army, really. Well, shoot, what was it, about four years ago, Sean? You and I were still part of Team Zero Comp together, and I ended up like, getting the better part of like a couple thousand points of demons off you. Yeah. For dirt cheap. I mean, you sold them to me for a steal. Oh, yes. Honestly, we mostly traded there. Yeah. Because I got a bunch of Eldar and Necrons off you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We both just like, oh, I don't want to play this anymore. Josh didn't want to play those anymore. We're just like, all right, let's, let's trade some stuff. Boom. Yeah, exactly. It was wicked good. Yeah, it's, you will always have that one bit you're looking for. It's like, guys, I, I need five assault cannons in a hurry. And it's like, someone is just like, oh, I bought seven of the Terminator kits, so I got some spares. Exactly. Yep. You're always going to have that need, and your teammates are great because that is another resource that you have to draw on for all those weird little things rather than oh, having God. to go to eBay and pay, you know, seven ninety nine a piece. One of our guys in Corvallis, like, wanted a bunch of Storm Bolters for Death Watch, and I'm like, I got great night arms. What do you want, bro? How many? Right. I got Storm Bolters for days. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is going to have things in their bits box that they have absolutely no use for, but you are desperately looking for. Exactly. Uh, and that is really big. It can save you a lot of money. Oh, yeah, right. And time. I didn't have time time to hunt down any bits or models. Yeah. Thankfully, I had a solution. We actually have a member of our team. Uh, His name is Matt. And uh, by the way, he's amazing. He's uh, like one of the backbones of our team. He's a great guy. But he's also kind of nicknamed the pimp. (laughs) Because anytime someone needs a game or anytime someone needs to borrow some models or whatever, this guy literally goes out of the, like, he just comes out of the woodwork. He's like, all right, I got this game for you there, this game for you there. Um, I need someone to play this guy here, and I, he just shits out models. Like, oh, somebody needed 25 grotesques. Here you go. Mm-hmm. I found 25 grotesques for you. You can use them for the weekend. And we're like, how do you do this? <laughs> He's a 40K pimp. It's amazing. He just makes things happen. It's a, it's a miracle. Yep. Yeah, I, I've been considered that in my own meta because I hoard bits for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have quite a lot of them. And I'm always up for a game, so... Yes. Uh, well, on the subject of saving yourself some money, let's talk about one of the other really big benefits, traveling to tournaments with members of your team. Oh, such a big benefit. We all did this at, you know, these last couple OVOs, but mm-hmm. certainly this, this most recent one was a big one. We just had eight people staying together in a house that Josh ran it. Yeah. I uh, ran the numbers. Yeah. It was under $200 per person for both food and lodging that whole weekend. Yeah, and we're talking a, a full five days. Five days in Vegas for less than 200 a person. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I'd even say we were fairly comfortable, too. It wasn't like we were all crammed into a hotel room sleeping on the floor. Mm-hmm. We had a bed for every person. Oh, right. And we were eating real food as opposed to just, like, fast food and ramen soup. Dude, the steak and potatoes night? Oh, still good. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that is a... Uh, I wouldn't say an extreme example, but sort of like a pretty major usually won't have eight people in one place. Yep. But even just two people splits the cost of your, your stay in half. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and here's the other thing about a team. Your teammates know people locally. You might be able to couch surf. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people we know in the Seattle area. We can just crash on couches up there these days. Yeah. Yep. One of our guys, actually, his parents live in Vegas. So after we all got done on uh, Monday and most everyone went home, 
uh, I, myself, and two of our other teammates, we actually stayed in the area for the next week because uh, I went to see my kids, had some stuff going on, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And his parents just let us stay at, at their house, couch there for the next three days without having to get another hotel or anything. Yeah, nice. and that could easily have been another, like, you know, three to $600. Oh, easily. Mm-hmm. So that's a really big one, like splitting hotel costs, splitting food costs, splitting gas, gas and other costs, and, and and not just the cost, but the physical effort of driving. Like, if you've never had to drive 16 hours to a tournament... Oh, God, yes. 52. Well, yeah, you, but you're an extreme example, Josh, because you apparently haven't understood what airplanes is. <laughs> um, that's your own fault. They're evil flying death machines. <laughs> yeah. But if you are trying to travel around to tournaments in your area, most people are willing to travel, you know, anything between 2 and 12 hours, depending on how much endurance you have. Well, and with two people... A 12-hour drive is pretty long with one or one person, but with two people, it's not that bad. Because it's two six-hour drives, really. Yeah, and if you've got three or four people, that's nothing. Oh, yeah, no, because every person can take stints. Also, it, it's kind of funny... A, friend of mine who's female was like, oh man, I kind of want to go up to this tournament. I said, well, I'm going up. You can come up with me and Sean. He's cool with women. So mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. Right. Having people you are comfortable traveling with and who you know and who will be there yeah. can make the social effort of a tournament a lot easier because you come up with a group and you'll probably make some friends at the tournament, but you, you arrive with a social group that is going to provide that level of just, I'm fine here. That was one of the things that Shay brought up when we were at LVO, when we actually were at LVO. That was one of the things you brought up, Shay, remember? Because mm-hmm. uh, the topic of you and Sean, uh, the fact that you traveled a lot of events together, that was one of the topics that came up, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was actually a topic of the Ladies' Night episode as well, because we talked about the logistics of getting there as a woman. Yeah. Because uh, it turns out you get to travel with guys, period. Pretty much, yes. So there, there's a lot of kind of interesting things there. But one of the best things we recommend is take a friend with you because it's a lot easier to like break the ice if you're not alone. Yes, exactly. Yes, that is absolutely true. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the benefits of being on the team. And honestly, I think most people want to be on a team. like They like being part of a social group. So let's throw out the really, really hard question. How do you get on a team? I have a couple suggestions. Sure, let's hear it. First suggestion is... Got your friendly local game store. Figure out who the TO is. Sure. Because the TO knows where all the teams are, knows where all the people are. They're kind of the heart of the community. Yeah. Figure out who the TO is. Talk to them. That's step one. That's a good starting place. Step two is if you don't really even know where a game store is locally, a thing you can do is look for Facebook groups near you that are 40k themed. And most cities do, yeah. We have a Corvallis Wargaming group, for example, that can be found. And the last thing you can do is just join several large online communities, such as podcasts, Patreons, and the like, because mm-hmm. chances are they'll know somebody near you, yeah. point you in the correct direction. Yeah. Once you find the group or you find a team or you find these groups out there, mm-hmm. then obviously you have the question of, well, how do I get on one? And then obviously there's a question, which team do I want to join? There's these five different teams that I could possibly join. Which one do I want to join? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my big thing that I, I tell people on that is when you're looking at these teams, don't just look at, hey, do these guys win a lot? Yeah. Because in and of itself, that may not be what you're after, right? I mean, you have to ask yourself, when I go to this tournament, what is it that I'm really loving about this tournament? Am I loving the fact that I'm winning all five games and I'm curb stomping people? Or 
when I go and I have friends with me, is it because we're all going to go out Friday night and we're going to get some drinks, just party all weekend long? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, when you look at your team, is that their kind of general social demeanor, their attitude or their behavior? Or is it more these guys, they're old fogeties like me and they get done at the tournament on Friday and they go back to their hotel room and they sleep for the next 10 hours, you know? You have to look at that aspect. It's not just the do we win or lose. Yeah. Look at these different teams. Look at what it is you're wanting out of this team. And that's what's going to make that decision. The social compatibility. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's sad, but you're almost comparing this to like when you're looking at a relationship. You know, we're all adults and we've all been down this road of where you're looking at or the pros and cons of one. Mm-hmm. A little bit. It's it's almost the same thing. You know, okay, so how much am I putting into this versus how much am I getting out of this? And is am I getting out what it is I want to get out of this? Or am I just looking for a one-night stand, hit it, and quit it quickie? <laughs> Well, yeah, you're you're looking for people who want the same things you do, because uh, there's no point being on a team whose goals are radically different from yours. I want you to want me. And the easiest way to figure out what their goals are is really simple. Ask. Exactly. Talk. The way you get onto a team is make friends with the team members. Go yeah. talk to them. You have something in common. You all play Warhammer. They want to talk about Warhammer. The door's already open. We all do. That's yeah. why we're running this podcast. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. People love talking about their hobbies, so just go talk to them and make friends with them. And it can be a little bit intimidating at first if you're like, oh my god, it's so-and-so, the local best player we have, but you know what? He's probably not any different than you are. When I first met Sean, I had an army where I named every individual model in it, Mm -hmm. and he said, oh, a woman after my own heart. (laughs) Yep. Also playing a very similar, like, every model in the army named... Uh, it was an inquisitional army where every single model in the army was named after a member of a Shakespearean play who dies in a horrific way, which is to say basically everyone in a Shakespeare play. <laughs> yeah, but even though he was one of the top guys in the meta, he and I immediately had this narrative connection. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you right now that even if they're a top player, chances are they enjoy other aspects of the game. It turns out this hobby has a lot of aspects that appeal to people, so don't be afraid to talk about any aspect. Yeah, reach out to those players and find something you have in common, because I guarantee you there is something you have in common. As you get to know them, get better friends with them, hang out more outside of the context of just like a pickup game at your FLGS, you will get to the point where you may feel comfortable like saying like, hey, do you mind if I come over to your house and play a practice game? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that's kind of like your stage two. You'll evolve to the point where you are actual friends as opposed to Warhammer friends. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how teams get built. If there is already a team in existence, as Josh kind of mentioned and Shay alluded to, they may have an explicit system for how they allow people on the team, or it may be much more informal. Um, it depends a lot. Um, Josh and I both joined Team Zero Comp, which had a very specific method for how you challenged to get onto the team that came a part of it. Yep. Yes, you had to play against the doormat Reese Robinson. Yeah, well... No. <laughs> I love you, Reese. If you're listening to this, sorry, I had to throw it out there. <laughs> well, I got onto Team Zero Comp by beating four members of their team in a single tournament. And yeah. at that point I said, guys, I think I have qualified now. Oh, that was uh, that was T-Shift, wasn't it? That was indeed. That was rough for some of those guys. I felt real bad. They were great sports about it. That's why I was happy to be on the team. But it was definitely like, man, I'm just chewing through the lineup here. <laughs> but they may have a system. They may not. For a lot of the more informal teams, the system may just sort of be like asking, like, hey, you, can I be on the team? Once yeah. you have gotten to know their players well enough, and chances are they want more people on their team for the same reason that you want to be on a team. 
Exactly. Uh, I was on Team Manbeard Gaming at my first LVO because I didn't want to play any of the people I traveled with turn one. Yeah. It can be as simple as that. I don't even know if there were requirements to be on the team, but I certainly didn't have a manbeard. <laughs> that said, there isn't always an actual team in your local area for you to join, so you may have to form one. That sounds like a lot of work, but the reality is that if you just have a couple of friends who go to you with tournaments... You're a team now. Yep. That's basically all it takes. That's how um, Sean and I got on the same team, really. Yeah, we our local team is basically just the people of us who travel to tournaments. And that's really what you need is a sort of a starting nucleus for an actual team. You will have some other people who, again, share your goals, want the same things you want. You will probably find some people who are either interested in competitive gaming or want to become interested in it um, because a lot of people will realize that like hey this is actually a lot of fun i think i want to try this some more that's how i got into the competitive tournament scene is just yep. like i you guys kept nagging me and i started going because i was like shut up i'll go <laughs> and i'm like oh wait this is fun <laughs> yes um so if you're if you're trying to form a team then find some local tournaments that you want to try going to and go to them yeah exactly like, it's really not that complicated, and you can just make yourself fake little team that travels out to the tournaments, and then it'll eventually become a real team if you guys go to enough of them. Exactly. And as far as all the stuff of, like, you know, Facebook groups and Discord chats and all that kind of thing, a lot of that stuff will just form on its own as mm -hmm. you just talk. But that sort of thing is useful enough for social coordination that you need to do anyways, all those practice games and borrow hammer and all that stuff that I think it will typically just happen naturally. You're not going to have to make any special effort there. Exactly. Uh, that's why you and I are the admins of the Corvallis War Gaming Club, because we're the ones who TO the events. Yep. Um, and as Shaylin already mentioned, TOs are a really good starting place for a lot of this kind of thing. Uh, they are often very plugged into the community and are the ones who nag everyone to show up to their event and whatnot, so they know who goes to events and who doesn't. Yes. That said, a way to find a TO is you can go to the frontlinegaming.org and you can look at their ITC page because they have every single city these events are hosted in listed. Yes. And it has a link to a website of some sort and you can figure out who ran that. Yeah. Um, they both past and future events, typically. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not complete. No. Um, Best Coast Pairings is also useful in that respect as it will often have upcoming events listed. And honestly, Facebook... I mean, like it or hate it, has a lot of stuff that is going to be local to you that people are trying to organize, so that is often a pretty good chance. Yeah, so it's basically like you can research on the internet if you just move to an area and you don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, like Josh said before, there is some kind of local Facebook group. All right, well, I think we've covered that subject pretty thoroughly. Do either of the two of you have anything you want to round off this discussion with? Find a team. Yeah, it is really valuable. Find a team and be ready for shitposting memes. Well, they, I mean, I would call that a benefit of being on a team rather than a detriment. <laughs> and, well, they might have danker memes than you, so you have to be ready ooh, for that. That's dangerous. That's some talk right there. Shots fired. Yeah, shots fired indeed. So, if you have any comments, questions, if you're looking for more information on some of the teams we've talked about, or just want to email us and chat on things a little bit, uh, you can reach us and in the finest hour at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, also in the finest hour, as well as a Patreon, if you would like to find a sort of special little community that we've got going. 
For $5 a month, you get access to our Facebook group where you can post all of those very, very dank memes, uh, as well as a Discord chat that we use to talk over lists and other nonsense going on. Nice little thing going there. We're all doing List Hammer on there, which is beautiful to watch. All day long. That is uh, a pretty consistent feature. And uh, on that subject, we actually have a new Patreon I'd like to give a call out to Matt Benson Perry has joined up with us. We have a Uh, Matt now! We have a Matt now. We fulfilled our Matt quota. So (laughs) thank you a lot, Matt, for helping support this podcast. Thanks, Matt. And for being a member of our fantastic little community. (laughs) You're awesome, man. What upcoming events do we all have going on? I'm going to be down in Florida towards the end of March. Uh, Not for Warhammer, but I'm certainly going to do some Warhammer wine down there. Uh, that'll be sometime between, like, the 20th and 27th, probably. How about you guys? Well, I have Adepticon coming up. Yeah, I think most people are fully aware of Adepticon, but you're going to be at that one. Shay and I will not. Yeah. Um, we may try to do an interview where one of the hosts will interview Josh for a hot take episode, but we'll That'd see. That'd be neat. Yeah, it was kind of like we did for LVO. Uh, big ones for me is I've got the Dallas Open coming up uh, on the 12th through 14th of April. And that one's actually going to be, I'm really looking forward to that event. So kind of a couple big ones. One, we are actually going to be the Enclave Wargaming. Our business, that's also kind of the same name as our team, is going to have its first vendor booth. Uh, going to have some really cool custom and very unique specialized uh, products. As well as I am so lo- looking forward to going and checking out that uh, new Forge World store in Dallas. Yeah, it's actually going to be a really good one. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that event. That one's going to be a lot of fun. And then not too long after that, uh, April 20th, Wet Coast is coming up, which... In Vancouver, Canada. Yes. I'm hopefully going to be going up to that one, although I don't think Shaylin will be making it. I just submitted the thing for a work shift change, so I might be able to escape. Keep the fingers crossed. Pray to the Emperor. We'll see. And then the very beginning of May, Josh, you have the Canadian Tabletop Championship, don't you? The Canadian Tabletop Championships are CTC, uh, put on by really great guy, uh, Joseph, uh, Joe. Literally, this is the first year for this event, and he has just gone out, all pulled out all the stops. And they have literally over 100 plus people for the 40k, full tables, the whole shebang, all the terrain is going to be done and nice. Metric ass ton of prize support. His goal, he told me his dream, and I, and I, I totally support him to help with this. He wants to have the LVO of Canada. That's what he wants. He wants the CTC It'd be the LVO of Canada. And uh, I, I think, I mean, he's got Nick Nanavani and some of the guys from Beast Coast. He's got us coming up. All these people are going to be coming up, and, and it's going to be a really, really awesome big event. So anyone that wants to look into it or consider it, I highly recommend it. It's the Canadian Tabletop Championships or CTC. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll have some more events coming up uh, later in May and whatnot. We'll probably talk about that as we get a little bit closer to things there. Storm uh, of Silence and Bay Area Open. So, I think that uh, covers all our upcoming events. I'd like to say thanks to Dank Muse for providing our music this week as every week. Uh, yeah. You can check him out on YouTube as well as on SoundCloud and other places. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for being our resident artist and general badass. Amazing artist, amazing artist. And I would actually love to throw out a shout-out to one of our newest sponsors, Misty Mountain Gaming. Yay! For anyone that was at LVO, you would have probably noticed he actually had a booth at LVO this year. Yeah. He was the one selling all of the really beautiful custom wood dice and custom stone dice that were there, the polyhedral sets, so on and so forth. Pretty nice one, too. That is Misty Mountain Gaming, and they do phenomenal work. 
They do custom stone, literally rose quartz, African bloodstone. They do custom wood dice. They do beautiful metal dice. Uh, just really nice work. Uh, really awesome just gaming gear. They're gamers that uh, want to support the gaming industry. So big shout out to them. And uh, we're probably going to have a, be having a coupon code coming out to you guys for uh, here soon that where you can get 10% off anything you guys uh, order uh, from their website with this code which would be a big shout-out and kind of help us out because it shows Misty Mountain that we're actually helping them out. So uh, definitely feel free to go on and order something. All right, Josh. Uh, I think it's your turn to do a list of the week. What, what kind of soup you cooking up for us? Necrons. All right, so uh, it's a Mefrit Battalion to start it off. We have a Catacomb Command Barge. He is the Warlord with the uh, Voltaic Staff, and uh, he has a Resort. Kind of nice little combo there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he is also uh, has a basic crypt deck with Staff of Light kind of accompanying him into battle. Okay. And then we got three very basic five-man units of Immortals, all with Tesla doing the basic Tesla thing. We all know what they're there for. Okay. Then we have six, count them, six destroyers. Mm-hmm. They're real solid. And then there is a single Night Scythe in the list. Oh. The croissant in this list actually gives the Necrons a lot of deployment control. Yeah. And then there's a flyer detachment in this list with three, count them, three doom scythes. Oh, okay. That's running Sawtech, right? See, that one I'm back and forth on. I've gone back and forth on either Mefrit or Sawtech. Uh, Mefrit, just to be able to get the neck one for the eight Tesla shots each of them have. But Sawtech, because you get the whole move, you don't have to worry about taking negative from moving and firing those big guns. Yeah. The the thing I really like about them is uh, there's three different armies out there that have access to that, like, that Vindicator-style bombardment stratagem. There's the Tyranids that have the Psychic version, there are the Marines that have the Vindicator, and then there's the Necrons that have it with the Doomsides. I actually like the Doomsides the best out of all of them, because the ability is so wickedly mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's the Necron version is really, really good, uh, especially because you also have the built-in minus one on those flyers, makes them harder to kill. Mm-hmm. Yes, they. I mean, they have living metal. You know, they're actually not really easy to bring down. You do have to kind of dedicate some stuff to do it. And if they're dedicating any level of anti-tank to those doom size, they're not hitting the next part in the list, which is the Seraptic Heavy Construct, because that guy is just freaking amazing. Mm. And uh, for that one, I go Novoke. For the uh, Mef- the dynasty, just because the reroll hit rolls on the charge, he's got like 15 or stupid number of attacks and a 16 inch move, so fast and amazing guns, amazing combat. And so uh, the list actually, it's it's a really lean list, but I think it's it's one of those lists where it's kind of like a toolbox list where it's it's got certain things to do certain things. You use it right, good matchup. You could probably go the distance with this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's Sounds definitely fun. got some pretty nasty tricks in there. Uh, Necrons may struggle sometimes, but like we saw at LVO, there's, there was a guy who went who went five and one, so it's absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that wraps us up for the week. Next week we will be talking about summoning, a subject that a couple different people have requested, and I think that is very near and dear to the heart of Josh himself. I know it's not about. And actually, me too, because knowing your enemy is important. Yes. Uh huh. So we'll catch you all then. Thank you very much for listening to In the Finest Hour. I've been Sean Morgan. I've been Shailen Allen. And death. <laughs>